Good morning and welcome to the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for today, Monday, November 7th, 2022, the day before Election Day. Don't forget to vote if you have not already done so. You've got about 30 hours left. Our, I am the chair of the committee, Aaron Peskin, joined by Vice Chair Supervisor Raphael Mandelman and committee member Supervisor Connie Chan. Our clerk is Mr. Victor Young. Mr. Young, do you have any announcements this morning? Yes, the Board of Supervisors and its committee are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we'll take those from those waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99, and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001, and, the, and then enter the meeting ID of 2488-987-6. Then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you are on the telephone, please remember to turn down your television and other listening devices. As already indicated, we will take public comment from those attending in person first, and then go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Rules Committee Clerk, at bictor.young at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included as part of the file. You may also send your written comment via U.S. mail to our office at City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. That completes my initial uh, comments. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Could you please read the first item? Yes, first on the agenda is item number one. Motion approving and rejecting the mayor's nomination for the reappointment of Alex Ludlam to the successor agency, term ending November 3rd, 2026. Thank you, Mr. Young. Colleagues, you will recall that we confirmed the mayor's nomination of Mr. Ludlam to the balance of a term that expired last Thursday, uh, and he has gotten his feet under him on the successor agency commission. I uh, concur with the mayor uh, as to his reappointment. Is Mr. Ludlam present? All right, come on up, Alex. Tell us how your initial term on the Redevelopment Agency Successor Commission has been. What have you learned? Well, I've learned very much, Supervisor. Uh, I've uh, been parsing budgets, and I feel I've been able to make valuable contributions, uh, pointing out where items are uh, of unusual cost. Uh, I've also, um, I think, 
been a valuable um, uh, ear to the District 6 seat, uh, which I occupy, um, helping, uh, helping with some of the parks uh, in Trans Bay, uh, working with the East Cut CBD director, uh, Andrew Robinson, uh, to um, advocate for uh, shifting OCII staff attention uh, so that they can meet critical dates, uh, which have to do with fundraising and joint ventures with uh, the Trans Bay Authority. Uh, so uh, I feel confident in my contributions to the commission uh, and would be very pleased to serve another term. Thank you, Mr. Ledlam. A any updates on Block 4? Uh, block 4, uh, none that I believe are official, but, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can tell which way the wind is blowing, uh, and I expect uh, ongoing discussions to continue to advance that project. And then while I've got you here with regard to 706 Mission Street, which is in said district, I am pleased to report that I am not going to have to hold a hearing on their request to extend out their last three and a half million dollar payment because they have agreed to make it by the 31st day of March of 2023, which is acceptable to this supervisor. So we will have that affordable housing payment in hand through your agency in about five months. Yes, uh, if I may, I'll say that Director Koslovsky was uh, most appreciative of your call to him on the matter. Excellent. Are there any questions or comments from committee members? Seeing none, is there any public comment on item number one? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 and enter the meeting ID of 2488. 987-7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that'll be your cue to begin your comments. There's nobody in the room for public comment at this time, and there's nobody in line uh, on the telephone for public comment. Public comment is closed. Mr. Ludlam, thank you for your service and willingness to continue to serve. I will make a motion to amend the subject motion by removing the word rejecting in line three and the word rejects in line 12 and recommend that we send the item as amended to the full board with a positive recommendation on that multifaceted um, motion. A roll call, please. Yes, on that motion, Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Next on the agenda is item number two, motion approving rejecting, um, excuse me, motion approving rejecting the mayor's nomination for the appointment of Michael Lambert, term ending October 8th, 2026, to the Children's and Families First Commission. I was able to verify uh, that a residency waiver is not required for Mr. Lambert. 
thank you for that, and thank you, Mr. Lambert, for your willingness to continue serving our children and families, and for the mayors putting your name forward. Come on up if there's anything you would like to say. Uh, I do have some questions not for you, but really for this panel relative to the motion that is before us that makes representations that on the mayor's behalf that I am not willing to make, uh, but we can figure that out. That's just a technical issue. Good morning, Chair Peskin, Vice Chair Mandelman, Supervisor Chan. Thank you so much for your consideration of my appointment to the Children and Families First Commission. Uh, as background, tomorrow marks my 30th year working in public libraries, and I've had a charmed career, in particular since about 1998, I have been working with youth and families to prepare young people uh, zero to five to enter kindergarten ready to read, ready to learn, ready to succeed in life. Uh, through my prior experience in San Mateo County Library, I have lots of experience working with first five. Since I've been with the city and county of San Francisco, I've served on the hour family, our, our families, our, no, our children, our families council, excuse me. Um, so I have a lot of experience working in this area and I would be proud to serve and contribute as best I can in this capacity. So I do appreciate the mayor's nomination and I appreciate the Board of Supervisors consideration of my uh, candidacy. Seems like a good fit for seat number five. Uh, which requires you to be a department representative. And thank you again for your service, not only to this body, but to our libraries. Are there any questions or comments from committee members? All right, seeing none, is there any public comment on this item? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 Enter the meeting ID of 2488-987-7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your queue to begin comments. I do not see anybody in the room for public comment, and there is one person on the line for public comment. First speaker, please. Can you hear me now? Please proceed. Excellent. Uh, David Pilpel, good morning. Happy to speak in support of the uh, appointment or confirmation of Michael uh, Lambert to the um, CFC, Children Families uh, First uh, Commission. Uh, Director Lambert is a, uh, an excellent uh, city uh, librarian, uh, conscientious, professional, caring. Uh, I think he will serve well in this uh, capacity, uh, one of my, um, I'm not sure how to say this, one of my favorite uh, department heads, uh, there are many, but uh, he, he is one of my favorites. Uh, I'm sure that you will have to tweak uh, page one, line 17, to page two, line six, to remove the reference to the um, residency uh, waiver, but I would uh, urge you to uh, support and approve uh, the mayor's nomination of Michael Lambert to the Children and Families First Commission. Thanks for listening. Are there any additional speakers on item number two, Mr. Young? 
Uh, there are no additional public commenters for this matter. All right, public comment is closed. Mr. Young, you, and this might take care of my technical problem, indicated at the beginning of this item that a residency waiver was not required. Is that correct? Yes, I would um, appreciate it if you can also amend it to remove any, to remove uh, reference to residency waiver from the motion. Uh, I initially thought that Mr. Lambert lived in a different city, but I have verified that he does live in the city. Well, there we go. A department head who lives in the city. Uh, all right. Well, in that case, because I was not going to be willing to uh, do the representation on page two at line three, subsection four, because I was not going to say that this Board of Supervisors had exercised due diligence and concluded that there was no other possible representative. That would be on the mayor, not on this Board of Supervisors. So I was not going to do that. But it sounds like that matter is moot. And I would therefore suggest that at line three, we remove residency requirement waived in the long title. At line 12 and 13, remove the same language and then eliminate line 17 through on page one through line six on page two and at line seven on page two um, uh, actually you want to know what we can remove that entire we can remove everything on page two do you agree madam deputy city attorney that last that further moved is only relevant to the residency waiver. I can verify that myself. Uh, that the second page regarding the further move is uh, only language regarding the residency waiver. Yeah. So I think we can just make those two changes and remove the rest of the motion starting on page one at line 17. Uh, well, I mean, you could keep the first two representations. I don't know that we have to do that. We do not have to do that. So I will make a motion to amend the motion by removing everything from line 17 on in the motion and uh, taking out the residency requirement waived in the long title and in the moved at lines 12 and 13 remove the word rejecting in the long title and remove the word rejects at, reject at line 12 and send the item as amended to the full board at, with a positive recommendation on that motion. A roll call, please. Yes, on that motion. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. And I. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Lambert. Go do right by our children and our families. Next item, please. Yes, item number three is a hearing to consider appointing one member term ending October 8, 2026 to the Children's and Family First Commission. One seat, two applicants. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. We will hear from these individuals, both of whom 
are for seat number seven, both of whom would require a residency waiver. We will hear from them in the order that they appear on our agenda, starting remotely, I believe, with Cessna Crawford and then going on to Lily Milton. Hi, good morning, everyone. Good um, morning. Appreciate, first of all, the uh, flexibility as I deal with COVID and uh, recovery phase from that. So thanks for the flexibility and thanks for allowing me to uh, attend remotely. I appreciate it. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be considered uh, for this important role. Um, for over the last 25 years, I've dedicated myself to my education and my professional experience in supporting diverse communities represented in San Francisco. I'm currently the Senior Executive Director of Urban Services YMCA, organization committed to children, family, and communities. In my work, I have overseen all the function of our organization, which includes our three family resource centers within the city and county of San Francisco, um, our truancy program, our youth development program, wellness, and many, many more. I've had the fortune to serve communities in many ways and have come to the recognition that without the establishment of autistic, sorry, um, relationships and goals of inspiring the voices of community is embedded in everything that we do. We will be doing nothing more than making symbolic gestures and not informed action. Much of my experience has been within the K-12 nonprofit and justice involved experience. I have a proven track record of consensus and relational a building, leading decision-making through sound evaluation process and strategic implementation of goals that ideas to completion. Given the wide range of services and citywide lens of my work across all populations that we serve in San Francisco, I do believe that my experiences would be a great uh, asset to the work ahead. If given an opportunity to serve as a board member, I look forward to continue the mission of putting our children and our family first and all decision-making moving forward. Once again, I would like to thank the respective board for their time and appreciate uh, the consideration. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Crawford. Now we'll go on to Lily Milton. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Chan, uh, Vice Chair Mendelman, and Chair Peskin. I'm really happy to be here. My name is Lily Milton, and I, along with Cessna, am really honored to um, put my application forward uh, for the Children's and Family First Commission. I uh, sit on the executive leadership team at Homeless Prenatal Program. I've been there over 14 years, and as you know, HPP is a paramount family resource center in the city, serving our most vulnerable families, focusing on pregnant um, and pregnant and um, family zeros to five, doing homeless, um, homeless services, housing, wellness, everything to really break the cycle of poverty and really uh, further the mission of Family Resource Center. Family Resource Centers as a whole are also kind of a core part of our fabric in San Francisco and really implementing innovative, integrated, um, family-centered services are really part of what FRCs are aiming to do. So I'm excited to even put forth my application because I feel like the opportunity to bring the voices of the providers and the families to the board in, uh, in a really dy dynamic, dynamic um, and innovative way is a really great opportunity for me and a wonderful opportunity for homeless prenatal. 
um, I feel that I bring to, would bring to the commission an ability to articulate uh, how FRCs are working together to further the mission of the Children's and Families First, First Commission. I feel that we have a long way to go in terms of improving our systems and making them more family-centered. Right now, our systems continue to be siloed, and while we are a community of great wealth, we still find that some of the most core services are under-resourced, understaffed, and there's a lot of things that our community can be doing and that the commission can be doing and the alliance can be doing to really further that mission. So um, I'm thrilled. I think Cessna is a, a wonderful colleague, and, and together we work with the FRC Alliance to bring the voices of FRC out to the community and make sure that the city is, is really putting families first. There's so many systems that are serving families, but they're not all working together. And I feel like my, that my role on the commission would uh, really create an opportunity for more voice and more integration. So thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Uh, are there any members of the public who would like to comment on this appointment by the Board of Supervisors to the Children and Families First Commission for seat number seven? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-987-7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that will be your queue to begin your comment. Uh, there's nobody in the room for public comment at this time, and we have one caller on the line for public comment. First speaker, please. Hello everyone, my name is Azuri P. Green and I am calling in to speak on behalf of Stephanie Crawford, who I believe is um, a very good candidate for this position. So I can attest to the fact that he is a fair person and sometimes it takes making hard decisions, even though it's gonna anger some people and disappoint some, but he's able to do that in a safe and compassionate way. I know when he comes to the um, when we were doing community events, and it would be 6 o'clock in the morning that he's out there helping to set up for community events, and leaving late in the evening as well. And also having to make those firm decisions on saying, no, we cannot do that because it's not for the greater community. And so I think he would be really good at being able to be fair and compassionate, um, and he brings a lens of being very open-minded and not having tunnel vision, but he thinks outside the box to be able to really elevate families and to help them achieve what they're trying to achieve in a way that is very compassionate and dear to his heart. And so I live in Petroleum Public Housing. I run a nonprofit in Petroleum Public Housing, and I've known Stephanie for a long time, met him in community, and he is very dear to what he does and um, is true to his word and is very compassionate, as well as to stand his ground when there's a lot of pushback when people don't want you to do something, but it's for the greater community, he will hold his own staff. And so I thank you very much for letting me speak. And you could not get a better person than Sussanae for this position. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Good morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. I am, my name is Yelena Nadalko, and I am calling in support of my colleague, 
Ms. Milton. And we uh, both have worked together at HVP. I've now known her for the past almost seven years. And I would just like to say that I have never worked with a more innovative, inspiring, and compassionate colleague in my life. Um, I wholeheartedly would um, love your support and consideration of Ms. Milton. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, that completes our list of public commenters for this matter. Public comment is closed. Um, I want to thank both of the applicants uh, who are both superlatively committed and qualified um, and want to hear from my colleagues. I would just offer this, um, which is just looking at the nine seats, all of which now with Mr. Lambert would be occupied, uh, that it is as we seek to balance um, by gender and ethnicity and other criteria, uh, heavily weighted to women. And for that reason, I would lean towards Mr. Crawford, but would love to hear from my colleagues. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Preston, uh, Pres Peskin. Preston, Peskin, it's all good. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just saw him this morning, that's why. I'd have much more followers on Twitter. <laughs> um, I uh, concur with your sentiment, um, Chair Peskin, and uh, about uh, just overwhelming right now, the appointees on this body is women. Uh, I also see that there is a vacant seat um, that is obviously a mayoral appointment, um, but would love to uh, encourage the mayor's office to consider um, Ms. Um, Supervisor no. Chan, the mayoral vacant seat is the seat we just filled with Mr. Lambert. I That's see. That five. was that was number five. Hmm. Which I think would make him the only other male out of nine. Indeed. Okay. Vice Chair Mandelman. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the items um, where um, I don't love being on the Rules Committee. Um, these, you know, bo both of these candidates are excellent. Um, my staff had the opportunity to talk to Mr. Crawford, was very impressed. Um, we haven't had the opportunity to talk directly to Ms. Milton, but uh, have heard very good things about her, and um, so I could support either of these applicants. All right, uh, and of course there will be future opportunities uh, on this body and other bodies that work for our children and families, um, so I will make the difficult choice and uh, make a motion to send Mr. Crawford with a residency waiver to the full board with a positive recommendation on that motion. Mr. Young, a roll call, please. Yes, on that motion. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Manoman. Manoman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item, please. Next on the agenda is item four, hearing to consider appointing one member term ending October 8th, 2024, and one member term ending October 8th, 2025 to the Early Childhood Community Oversight and Advisory Committee, two seats, four applicants. 
All right, uh, and indeed, here's one of those <laughs> potential opportunities. Uh, why don't we hear from the applicants? There are four of them. However, uh, one of them is the only applicant for seat number nine, that is Monique Guidry, who is not able to attend today, but there is only one applicant for that position for which she is qualified, um, and that has a specific uh, requirement that it is a representative of the Child Care Planning and Advisory Council, uh, and so um, I let her know that we could hear the item today uh, with her absent, which gives us the three remaining applicants for seat number eight, uh, and we'll hear from them in the order that they appear, Cindy Lopez-Chastain, Isabella Hill, and Savita Murthy, uh, who requires a residency waiver for seat number eight, uh, is Cindy Lopez-Chastain with us this morning. Hello. Good morning. I'm online. Good Go morning. Ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much for permitting me to be online. I am currently a speech therapist and working in practice today. So I'm jumping on this call um, in between appointments. Uh, so Board of Supervisors, thank you all for your consideration. Um, I am wanting to just say very briefly that my passion for early childhood education stems from my professional work of 20 years as a speech therapist in San Francisco. But the deeper commitment is as a born and raised San Franciscan myself, first generation immigrant family from El Salvador, uh, going through the process of being raised here and then now raising two children of my own. Um, as a professional, I have been deeply committed and in the groundwork of early childhood, supporting not only the children in their speech therapy work with me, but their families, my colleagues, and developed uh, my own program, Linguistic Connection, in 2008 as a response to working in the school systems and seeing a huge need for our Spanish-speaking families, our families of color, and our families of low income to receive and access services in the community in a timely manner and in a way that worked for them. And since 2008, I have done not only that work as a practice, but um, created teams, worked in countless childcare programs, preschool centers, collaborated with nonprofit agencies, the school districts, the Golden Gate Regional Center, to name a few. And in that time, I have not only provided those direct services to the children and the families and professionals, but I've also developed different um, programs and different models to provide screenings for children, early intervention approaches. And my favorite part of my work has been as a consultant, really working inside of the community to, like the other colleague said, um, to integrate to integrate our systems and to stop working in silos, which um, has been something to the detriment of our community in early childhood. So I come to you today just to share my passion and to want to bring my expertise, my commitment, my um, the stories, the everyday lessons that I have from families and my colleagues 
to bring that to the table, to work together with the city, with the board of supervisors, with the committees to come up with solutions because I've been working pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and now at this recovery stage of the pandemic with the families that need it the most. And I want to be able to come up with some solutions that uh, can all innovate together on. Thank you, Ms. Lopez-Chastain. Next, we'll go on to Isabella Hill. Good morning. Hello, supervisors. My name is Isabella Hill. I'm also a born and raised San Franciscan, and it's just like so exciting to be in this room and participating in this process. Um, I've been an early childhood educator for 10 years, and I'm currently working in the classroom at C5 Children's School, which is right next door in the state building. Um, my call to action came during the pandemic when I was on unemployment, and I was making more money than I had been as a full-time teacher in the classroom. Um, if it were up to me, I would be a preschool teacher for the rest of my life, but that seems unrealistic in the current economic environment of our city. My career depends on creating a more sustainable future for educators in this city. This is such an inspiring and hopeful time to be involved in early childhood ed policy. We have this great influx of funding and this move to universal preschool. And um, I'm so in awe of the advocacy that the sitting members of this committee have done to get us to this point. Um, However, I believe I would be, if I were on the committee, I would be the only one who is currently working in the classroom. As someone who is working in the classroom, I can speak directly to the lived experience of how policies and funding are impacting educators and family. I experience firsthand the economic, social, and cultural realities of working in ECE, and I am the first point of contact for children and caregivers in this community. In order to provide recommendations into expanding early childhood programs in a way that is equitable, high quality, and sustainable, I believe it is essential to have the interests of teachers in the field accurately represented. If I am chosen for this committee, my goal is to advocate for policies that help retain and train diverse and qualified early childhood educators who will in turn empower the communities that they serve. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ms. Hill, and thank you for your work and Sorry that it is not compensated as it should be in the society. Although we have tried, I go back 20 years and it was, uh, we did child care plus and all sorts of things and yet it has fallen behind again. Yeah. No, I mean, we very much appreciate the CARES program. That's been a tremendous boon to us and we're so excited to see what changes continue to be implemented. Thank you. Uh, next, we'll go to Savita Murthy. Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning, members of the Rules Committee. I'm so, so honored to be here. So thank you so much for having me here and giving me the opportunity to talk to you about my application and my interest in serving on the Early Childhood Citizens Advisory Oversight and Advisory Committee. Um, over the last two decades, my work has been in early childhood education. I've been a teacher, I've been a researcher, I'm now a nonprofit leader. Um, my story and my history with early childhood education is personal. Um, I wasn't able to attend college directly after high school, so I took a vocational course. I worked 
entry-level jobs in the service industry for three years, and then facing burnout in my early 20s, I took up a job as a paraprofessional in an early childhood classroom, and the magic of working with young children changed my life. It led me to complete my college degree, get a teaching credential, teach in the classroom for a decade, then go on to graduate school, work as a researcher, and then end up where I am today. So because of my diverse experiences as a parent, as an educator, as a researcher, as a nonprofit leader, um, I'm familiar with the field of early childhood education, variety of learning contexts, the preschool classroom, Head Start agencies, family childcare homes, family resource centers. I'm parent of a young child myself. And then because of my history, this work is really personal to me. Um, the child is at the center of my work, and I'm passionate about promoting high-quality early childhood experiences and about the urgency to do that for marginalized communities so that all children arrive in kindergarten ready to learn. I'm currently the executive director of Tandem Partners in Early Learning. We're a small, but I like to think mighty nonprofit working at the intersection of social justice and early childhood education. We serve about 7,000 children in, and their families in the city and county of San Francisco. So our programming is present, present in every single preschool and transitional kindergarten classroom in San Francisco unified. We serve all the major Head Start agencies. We partner with 101 family childcare homes and several family resource centers. I bring this up because I don't live in San Francisco and I need a residency waiver, but I want to assure you that through my work, I'm closely connected to this community and I care so deeply about it. I've made it a point and a priority to be present and to build deep relationships with partners and with families. I attend community meetings, table at community events, support programming in a really hands-on way. I'm seated on the Child Care Planning and Advisory Council through Supervisor's Chance Office. And I serve on the board of directors for the Third Street Youth Center and Clinic, um, which is led by my wonderful colleague, Joy Jackson Morgan. And I'm offering this as additional evidence of my commitment and connectedness to the city of San Francisco. Um, uh, thank you so, you're, you're in a um, tough position because you have three amazing candidates to choose from, so I don't envy the decision you have to make. Um, but I'm just so honored and humbled that I got to be here today and tell you a little bit about myself and the work that we do. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your presentation and thank you for your work and for your applying this morning. Uh, why don't we go to public comment, Mr. Young? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should like them to speak. At this time, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-987-7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comment. There's nobody in the room for public comment at this time. I'm just checking. And there's nobody uh, on the telephone line for public comment at this time. Okay, public comment is closed and I would, this is a tough decision. I will note that there are no men on this body. Uh, there does not appear to be any, but I could be wrong, Asian nor Latinx representation on this body, which is nine seats. 
nor does there appear to be any representation from somebody with current lived experience. So there you have it. Um, comments from committee members. I am uh, at a loss with three perfectly qualified candidates. Supervisor Chan. Um, yeah, I, I think that is a very challenging um, decision. I'm looking at just purely, I, I always really just want to thank, of course, our D1 appointee, um, Savita Morthy, for her service all across. I think it would be a great opportunity for someone like an educator, like Isabella Hill, and bringing the perspective as an educator to the body. Um, it is a tough decision, but it's definitely also great to have someone who's bilingual and understanding, having cultural and language competency to one of the largest community in need of early childhood um, services in the city. And typically, just from my experience with Children's Council, that is a gr in great need for a city like ours when childcare costs is extremely high for immigrants and communities that actually are monolingual. So <laughs> we have some decision before us. I am probably in a space where leaning toward an educator like Isabella Hill for this reason because the lack of educators perspective while seeing that Ms. Uh, Morthy has been involved in many other bodies that related to childcare already. Um, so that's probably where I'm leaning toward. Thank you. And I should note that Ms. Lopez Chastain just chimed in online uh, that she too is a practicing educator in classrooms and home-based work for the committee's edification. Vice Chair Mandelman. Uh, thank you, uh, Chair Peskin. Uh, I also have a very hard time with this decision. I have—I will say that I have heard positive things about uh, Supervisor Chan's appointee, Ms. Murphy. Um, uh, and beyond that, I'm not sure I have a ton to contribute. All right. Um, Sure is great being chair, isn't it? Uh, colleagues, um, for a number of reasons, uh, I am going to suggest that we make the tough decision and I will suggest Cindy Lopez Chastain for seat eight and Monique Guidry for seat nine. Supervisor Chan. 
I, I do want to actually speak on Monique Guidry uh, for seat nine, even though uh, she's not able to attend today. I do want to say I actually know her for uh, a very long time, Me almost too. two decades <laughs> now. And she has been dedicated uh, in this work. And she has alongside, because she, her um, service does reside in District 7, um, alongside with former board president uh, Norman E. really had done a lot of work around child care. So I know that her work um, speaks for itself, and it's the reason why I did not <laughs> question the fact that while she's not physically present and make presentation herself today, I, I just know her work for a long time. So I'm more than happy to point her for seats nine. And I, because again, all three equally qualified and outstanding candidates, I think that um, I respect Chair Peskin's decisions for. Um, for seat eight uh, with uh, Cindy Lopez chastise. Thank you. And again, as I said in the last item, there will be other and more opportunities for your expertise and involvement. Mr. Clerk, could you please call the roll on that motion for item number four? Uh, yes, on the motion to appoint Cindy Lopez Chastine to seat eight and Monique Geardley to seat nine. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, I. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, I. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. Next item for the, I don't know, fourth, fifth time, please. Item number five is the ordinance amending the administrative code to require Board of Supervisors approval of a policy governing the funding, acquisition, and use of certain law enforcement equipment consistent with the Criteria set forth in state law and approving the police department's use of equipment policy. Okay, colleagues, I want to thank you and the public and the police department for your patience as we have heard this repeatedly. Um, the good news is uh, the department has uh, evolved their AB 481 uh, military equipment policies uh, largely in line with the comments that I made a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, I don't know if I am the only one, but I generally delve into these things on Sunday evening. And by the time I delve through the entire grid that the police department provided us late last week, maybe Friday or so, uh, it was like 10 o'clock, and I thought, nah, too late to call the PD and start negotiating. So I want to make some comments uh, based on um, the responses, and I think we are all in receipt of this fine, good work to Aja Steves and the department for laying it all out. Um, and you can see who made the suggestion, which is largely me, uh, some, some from the PD, uh, and you can see that some of them were accepted in whole, some of them were accepted in part, some of them were declined in whole, um, but a lot of progress. And, you know, this is the first time that any of us are doing this. I actually um, noted uh, that this is a law that was sponsored by our now city attorney and former state assembly member, David Chu. So if we want legislative intent, we can just walk down the hall and 
uh, find out first person. Um, but with that, um, what I would like to do is just uh, go through some thoughts that I jotted down last night too late to call. Um, and then I uh, have arranged for a meeting between myself and the department on Wednesday morning uh, to discuss these at length. And then hopefully we can finally, albeit we are past the 180-day deadline, but we are not the only ones in the state of California um, uh, to be wrestling with this. Um, so uh, in order that they appear on this, um, I note that as it relates to robots, the uh, I asked a question at a previous meeting about whether or not robots could be used for deadly force. Um, the department has responded that yes, they can under prescribed limited circumstances. Uh, so I think that's a question for us relative to AB 481, whether or not we agree with that. So we can, I mean, that's something, as a matter of fact, this would be a good opportunity because we cannot talk about this offline. Colleagues, if you have any sentiments as to that, you might want to express them during the course of this meeting. Um, there was uh, relative, this is uh, R3, um, page number five, uh, whether or not it should be command staff, which is what I recommended. Uh, the department suggested commissioned officers, which are lieutenant or above, uh, I note that Oakland, uh, I believe in their policy, they're a little bit ahead of us, uh, landed, I think, on command staff could only authorize deployment um, in these instances. Uh, so something to think about and discuss. Um, uh, as to the Bearcat, um, uh, I guess the question that I was left with is uh, really defining what is a high-risk tactical situation. Um, I mean, I think we all kind of have a sense of it, but it's not for the sake of the policy uh, defined. Obviously, I think we all want de-escalation whenever and wherever possible. I think the policy <coughs> speaks to the fact that De-escalation has been deemed to be futile, um, futile, futile. But uh, anyway, that's some food for thought. Uh, jumping all the way to my favorite device, the LRAD. Uh, it's actually, you guys included language, which I appreciate, that said... Um, uh, it would not be used for uh, crowd control. And so I think that in the authorized uses, we should say that that is not an authorized use um, because it's, I, this is, I think I'm just restating what you guys were saying, but um, we can figure that out on Wednesday. Uh, and by the way, there also is, and I have not yet looked into this, another new California law I think AB 48 that we need to look at in light of LRAD. Um, we can talk about that further on Wednesday. Uh, 
jumping to uh, specialized firearms. I think the city attorney has said that can be deleted it's in its entirety or not. That's a policy call for us. So any thoughts that colleagues have as to whether or not we want to delete that, uh, speak now. That does not mean that you need to forever hold your peace. Um, but it is a place where we have an opportunity, again, to emphasize and speak to de-escalation if it is in the policy, whereas if we make the line call and say it's not in the policy, those words don't have a place. Um, so I lean towards keeping it in the policy, which is our call. Uh, jumping to R24, um, I think we have some AB48 questions, which we need to get our uh, arms around and figure out. Uh, R26, um, I just have some questions about uh, destruction of property as it relates to the definition of exigent circumstances. Um, I am reluctant to, unless it's better defined, say that destruction of property could trigger. Um, I mean, if a person is smashing a window, which is not good, I don't know that it's okay to shoot them. But that, I, I'm not saying that you would do that. I'm saying that the way destruction of property is listed in here gives me pause. Sure, this can rise to arson. It can rise to hostile crowds where their barricades are being broken, vehicles are being broken, buses are being taken over, things are being lit on fire. So we're talking about large destruction of property. Right, and so I think if we say that mm -hmm. mass scale, I mean, look, we all saw what happened in our nation's capital on January 6th with barricades Correct. and destruction of property. So I, I get it. It's just maybe it just requires some uh, language tweaking. Um, Then the, uh, and I think this kind of gets me pretty much maybe through it, uh, it the restocking at $10 million, which happens to be the section 9.118 threshold, wherein you would have to come anyway, mm -hmm. um, we need to discuss that. Um, and then I think AB 481 specifically does require, and I put this language in and you guys took it out, that it has to identify an independent oversight body. I identified the Board of Supervisors, which seemed to be where AB 481 was pointing, although it could be the police commission, but it has to, I think it has to identify. I think that is pretty clear in the law. So I don't think, I mean, we can have a different oversight agency, but I, don't, I think you can't just strike that language is the way I read the law. I'm not an attorney. And we're talking about the restocking section. Correct? No, this is our uh, twenty-eight. I can. Right, complaints and sanctions. I see. It's so police commission is folded into that when, um, in terms of the compliance 
of member compliance. Uh, police commission is already folded into any discipline action um, along with the chief. So if we're talking about compliance with the government code 771D, I believe, I, th I think we already acknowledge that the Board of Supervisors would be that governing body. Okay, well, if you can show me where, then maybe we're good. So we but added we a section at the last page, page 20. Page um, 20. So we essentially folded it into the annual report, um, not the compliance section, which just says that it is the Board of Supervisors um, within their purview to oversee the compliance of that government code section. All right, we can quibble about this. I see your section six annual reporting. I still don't think it has the magic words of who is the ultimate oversight authority, but, um, and we can also talk to council about whether I'm right or not in my reading of AB 481. Um, or I can just go ask David Chu. Uh, it's amazing that David Chu was able to get this passed in an assembly, but automated speed enforcement still can't be passed. I just can't, I'm, I'm trying to get my, that, this is not a comment on the PD, this is a comment on the state legislature. I, I can't figure out the state legislature, but what do I know? I've just been a city councilman for the last 20 years. Um, that is, uh, I reserve my right to bring up anything else on Wednesday, but that is kind of it at a high level. And colleagues, if you want to uh, add, subtract, um, Go for it. If not, why don't we open this item number five up to public comment? And uh, to members of the public, I will include in the file, as we did previously, the most recent grid that the PD supplied to members of this committee on Friday. So people can look at it in the intervening week. Uh, yes, I'd just like to note, I did post that uh, earlier this morning oh. uh, into Legistar. Excellent. One less thing for me to give you. Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person, should line up to speak now along the side of the, um, should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-987, 7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that'll be your cue to begin your comment. Uh, we have a person um, in the room for public comment. You have two minutes for public comment. Hi, my name's Arthur Koch. I'm a member of the San Francisco Friends Meeting serving on the Peace and Social Concerns Committee. We have a Quaker meeting house right over on South uh, 9th Street, 65 South 9th Street. Um, so I'm here to represent the meeting. I'm asking the Board of Supervisors to call for further amendment of the proposed military equipment policy to fully define authorized use for all weapons, especially assault weapons. I, ob I object to assault weapons being considered standard issue, uh, as well as machine guns. I think they should be in the inventory 
and I think they should be accounted for. We need to align the receipt of annual reports and budgets, uh, require transparency and restocking, no blank checks for up to $10 million. That's a lot of money not to keep a track of. As a Quaker pacifist, I don't think the SFPD should have so many weapons of war. We are a city of peace, not a military. I think the proposed policy is morally and ethically wrong. This policy doesn't safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, or civil liberties. And AB 481 requires governing bodies to only approve the use of the policy if it will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. Um, I visited a friend in Visitation Valley a couple of years ago, one of the poorest neighborhoods in San Francisco, and I witnessed a military-style armored vehicle making a drug bust at his neighbor's house. It was shocking and seemed way out of proportion to me, like it was a different reality than other neighborhoods in San Francisco. I was more of afraid of the police than all the poverty and crime that surrounded me. Breaching devices should not be deployed against a person. It should only be used on doors. My Speaker, time has elapsed. Can I make one last statement? Please wrap up. Uh, military equipment is more frequently deployed in low-income black and brown communities, meaning the risks and impacts of police militarization are experienced most acutely in marginalized communities. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your comment. Are there any additional members of the public for comment on item number five? There being no additional parties in the room, we can move on to our call-in phone number where we have approximately six members of the public in line. First speaker, please. Can you hear me now? Please proceed. Uh, great, uh, David Pilpel again. Um, on this item in, uh, yes, Victor did uh, uh, upload uh, the department's uh, submission uh, this morning, that's great, uh, but also in Legistar Attachment 21, which is the committee packet for today, should have today's date and it still has last week's. Um, I think um, it is better for the police to have some of this equipment and not use it than to not have it and need it in the event of some event that requires it. So that's, that's where I fall on the um, acquisition or holding the equipment. My understanding is that this doesn't change what the police has, it just makes the list of that equipment publicly transparent and to some extent does govern uh, its use in a way that um, did not exist before. So it's really more about transparency than um, additional uh, potential militarization of the police. Um, and I certainly hope that the Sheriff's Department uh, policy, which is pending before this committee, and any other AB 481 policy gets similar scrutiny to the police departments. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi, this is Jennifer Tu. I work for the American Friends Service Committee. Um, I'm calling to urge this committee to include assault rifles in this policy. The public deserves to know the fiscal impact of SFPD's 15 machine guns, 64 submachine guns, the 608 assault rifles, and to have policies that protect the public. 
Use of the assault rifles by SFPD have led to deaths in the city, including, including this year. Automatic fire weapons are indiscriminate. The public deserves to give input on how such deadly weapons will be used, and that uh, input is provided by AB 481. I also urge this committee to consider setting the annual report receipt to occur in the spring. The new law, AB 481, requires reporting on the total annual cost for each type of military equipment. And that includes not just the acquisition cost, but also personnel, training, maintenance, and more. Uh, these are outlined in the law. That means that SFPD will need to be able to answer questions that, that account for personnel costs, especially around training and maintenance. Uh, these questions include things like, how many personnel devoted how many hours towards training on each weapon? What was the cost of that personnel time? How many hours were devoted by all personnel towards cleaning uh, rifles and guns, towards cleaning or maintenance on, on every weapon that's, uh, that, that's described? Were any of these uh, questions uh, done at an overtime rate? By setting a due date for the annual report in the spring, this will not only uh, better align with the annual budget process for the city, it will also help SFPD be able to identify what changes it needs to make in its record keeping practices. And it will allow SFPD to be able to work with a smaller set of data, and that will mean they'll be more able to fully deliver on the law's requirements. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Hello? Hi, please proceed. Hi, my name is John Lindsay Poland. I'm with the American Friends Service Committee, and my comment is very brief. Um, the proposal from uh, SFPD to make uh, fully automatic machine guns and submachine guns a standard issue and therefore exempt from AB41's requirement for use policy and reporting on, on those weapons is totally unique in the state. There are many other departments, and I should back up and say American Friends Service Committee, has reviewed more than 100 uh, police department and sheriff's policies for AB 41, including their use of firearms and, and whether they classify assault weapons as firearms. The vast majority, more than 90% of both police departments and sheriff's offices um, include assault weapons, uh, semi-automatic rifles in their use policies for AB 41. Um, some of them even say, well, we consider the standard issue, but we, in the interest of transparency, will include this. There is at least one department where the legislative body, the um, governing body, said you didn't include uh, assault rifles. We want you to include it, which is under AB 41, part of the authority of the governing body um, to say, okay, this is not included in AB 41 by law, but we want you to include it. Um, and San Francisco has the ability to do that. On the issue of uh, machine guns and submachine guns, there are many departments that have such firearms, such weapons. None of them have classified them as standard issue. Every single department I'm aware of that has those types of firearms have included them in their AB 41 policy. It is atrocious that this department would attempt to classify these weapons as standard issue and exclude Speaker them from time oversight. Has elapsed. Thank you very much. Can we have our next caller, please? 
and I'm speaking for Progressive Labor Party. Hello, everyone. Let's cut to the chase. What are the police for? It's certainly not to stop crime or to protect us. Remember Uvalde? No, the police kill us with impunity. They bust down our doors. They stop and search us. They break up our demonstrations. They spy on us. They're basically hired killers to keep a tiny ruling class in power. Now they want military weapons. Why? Well, millions are becoming homeless. Our kids don't have enough food. Schools are chaos, are chaos or prisons. We can't get health care. We can't afford food or gas. And now they're preparing for a war with Russia and China that will gut our social services. The police want military weapons because the bosses are afraid of massive rebellion. And they're right, we will rebel. But we need to go beyond rebellion. We need a communist revolution to get rid of capitalism permanently and not have to fight the same battles over and over and over again. Elections will not do it. We can do it. All of these fights today against militarizing the police, against school closings, against evictions, they can bring us together and teach us how to fight. But let's keep our eye on the prize, driving out the bosses with working class revolution. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Good morning. This is Regina Sneed. I'm with Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Um, Arthur Koch, um, Jennifer Chu, and John Lindsay Poland have uh, already talked about issues that I was going to raise, so I'm going to uh, focus in on a couple of other things. One is um, I want to thank uh, Chair Peskin for continuing this item, continuing to dialogue with the police department to get more specific uh, information into this policy and that the board is going to make policy decisions that are important to this ordinance. We need more def definitions of the Ms. Need. Ms. Need. This is available to us early enough so that we actually could review that. And I followed very easily the comments made by Chair Peskin um, because of that document. I will look forward to seeing the responses after Wednesday's meeting with the police department. I would like you to ask the police department about two other items. One is the $10 million figure. Um, as you mentioned, that's kind of standard. So it really needs to be a smaller amount I still think it's a great idea to have an earlier report um, uh, along the budget cycle starting in uh, uh, the beginning of the year um, up to March so that we have an early indication of how this uh, policy is uh, playing out in terms of an annual report. Um, so those are basically the things. Uh, and, uh, you have my um, written comments for more detail. Um, I appreciate that you're taking the time to make sure that we get a policy that is uh, the one that the city deserves as a city of peace, and that I know we're past the deadline, but it's more important to get it right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? 
Hello, my name is Paul Briley, and I live in San Francisco in District 10. I represent all of us in nine legal services for prisoners with children. I asked the Board of Supervisors to call for further amendment of the proposed military equipment use policy to fully define authorized use for all weapons, especially the assault weapons. Um, these weapons have historically been misused. I asked the board to examine the continuous sequence of policies which have led to the assault upon an unknowing African-American community. Um, restrictive covenants made a heavy presence of police in my neighborhood to make sure people stayed within these boundaries. And this goes all the way back to the killing of Matthew Johnson, a 16-year-old unarmed boy in Hunters Point. I heard the supervisor mention destruction of property. Um, Matthew Johnson was in a stolen car and he was murdered. Um, the mayor at the time, John Shelley, authorized state-sanctioned violence against the entire community using military equipment. I was not alive at the time, but I grew up in a neighborhood with tanks driving around um, being used against the community. I grew up in a neighborhood where AR-15s were pointed at me, telling me to go inside the house. Um, I please ask the board to look at this matter because it will impact the entire community which I live in. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Yes, good morning. Tracy Rosenberg from Open Privacy and from Media Alliance. Good morning again, and thanks for the work that's been done so far. I just wanted to express three quick concerns. Number one, the restocking fee at $10 million. That's a large amount of money and potentially could represent a, a significant increase in volume. So we would ask you to look at lowering that number. Secondly, Assembly Bill 48, which passed in the same year as Assembly Bill 481, restricts the use of um, chemical weapons, flash bags, bean bags, and those kinds of things in crowd control. It significantly restricts it, and we ask you to integrate these policies with AB 48. Lastly, um, I believe that currently we have robots authorized for deadly force, which potentially could be used to remote control kill someone. This is what Oakland considered and sort of stepped back from because it's really scary. And I would ask that San Francisco also consider stepping back from having that kind of equipment authorized for basically remote control killing. So thank you, and um, have a good day. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Deja Bowler. I'm a community activist of many years. Uh, I've printed out and read the law enforcement use of equipment policy and the recommended edits of AB 481. And I'm interested to have heard the comments that have been made before me. 
And I want to say, too, that I appreciate greatly the hard work that Supervisor Peskin has done in dealing with what's put before him. But I want to say that I find this a bizarre way to deal with our fear of the other. We, at present, in our community and our nation are faced with a lot of unrest. And to overreact to that by way of allowing expenditures to the police department that can result in serious harm to members of our public is really unthinkable. So I oppose the uh, renewal of the policy. I support the use of the funds used heretofore for supply and to uh, the use of any military weapons for city and instead used for social services and unmet community needs. Furthermore, I would like the proud city of San Francisco to send the message to the federal government legislators, the weapons manufacturers, the U.S. military, the police force itself, and the general public that we do not want or need military weapons to handle our civic affairs and prefer to use the funds for police training in community relations, nonviolent interventions, and management of law enforcement, and in addition, meeting community needs. Thank you for your attention, and I wish you all great luck. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? So real quick, this is Uzuri again from Detroit. And, and so, oh, my God. So first off, we always have a whole bunch of people that don't even live in San Francisco that always want to come on and, and advocate for what's going on in San Francisco. We really need to stop that. Number two, the police are not – there are a lot of good police officers. I just seen them last time when we had 5150, my neighbor, where they were able to do it with compassionately and not with assault rifles. Then also, the police are outgunned. And so when you're saying that the criminals are taking over the streets, we need to look at why, why are we not holding other agencies accountable for the work that they're supposed to be doing? I think that there should be a medium in there to where we find a medium uh, um, in there for the assault rifles and at the same time being held accountable. Because a lot of times it doesn't end up in the white neighborhoods. It ends up right here in, a, in our community. I mean, they have all this stuff up there. But on, June, on January 6th, when they had the insurrection up there in the White House Capitol, they didn't shoot at the whole bunch of people because there were a lot of white people, right? One person got shot. Whereas they had all this stuff out there for the Black Lives Matter, and they were doing peaceful protests. I use that as an example. So, therefore, we can't take away everything from the police to be able to do their job. At the same time, we can't give them everything, like, you should be able to have allowed them to have the tasers, allow them to have the beanbags and the things that they can use that are less deadly. But at the same time, they are outgunned. And if we start holding other people accountable for the work that they're supposed to be doing, like I can't even get crisis to come out here, which is their job for mental health, but we had to call the police and they were able to deal with it in a compassionate way. So we need to find a medium up in there and stop allowing people that do not live in San Francisco, white people that don't live in San Francisco, 
to always speak up for San Francisco when it's, it's, it's not for us in the first place. And so it's going to cause more harm to our communities. And so that's my two Speaker cents on the whole thing. Speaker time has elapsed. Thank you. That was our last caller uh, for public comment. Okay, public comment for today at least is closed. And colleagues, as previously discussed, I will make a motion to continue this to our meeting of November 14th. On that motion, a roll call, please. Yes, on the motion to continue the matter to November 14th, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. All right. Uh, next item, next and last item, please. See you Wednesday. Yes, next on the agenda is uh, item number six, ordinance amending the campaign and governmental conduct code to update the conflict of interest code form 700 filing requirements by adding, deleting, and changing titles of certain designated officials and employees to reflect organizational and staffing changes and by refining disclosure requirements for certain designated officials and employees. All right, we have been asked by the Department of Human Resources that is still meeting and conferring to continue this item to the 12th day of December. But meanwhile, we have a few amendments to discuss that I will pull up here in a minute that I got from President Walton's office uh, that are, seem to be relatively de minimis in nature, but would require continuance anyway, adding one position of the city attorney's office, restoring the two-year disclosures from the Fine Arts Museums, restoring the two-year disclosures for the city administrator, adding the refuse rate board to section 3.1-103, and a new section 3.1-397 uh, as the refuse rate board. And then I do have a couple of questions which we can figure out between now and December 12th, namely as it relates to the, the refuse rate administrator on page 17, this, which sets the rate, refuse rate administrator. This was at the suggestion of the controller as a disclosure category two. And I think we should think about whether that should be a disclosure category one um, the way it is currently written, uh, the refuse rate administrator, whenever that individual is ultimately retained by the city pursuant to Proposition F of last June, um, would only have to disclose their investments and positions in a business entity, which is engage in the refuse business in San Francisco. And I found that maybe to be too narrow uh, to the extent that there is ever competition in this arena as it relates to refuse collection by other than the incumbent recology provider. It seems to me that this individual should uh, have to disclose any relations with any refuse business, regardless of whether they have business in San Francisco or not. So, uh, Madam Deputy City Attorney, I assume we can take this up with the controller and deal with it in the interim. 
Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, um, yes, it's the controller's office certainly that has recommended the designation and they can explain why they went with a two instead of a one. As to this issue about disclosures relating to interests outside the jurisdiction, this section of the municipal code is drafted to conform or operationalize the political reform act and under state law, that state law requires disclosures of financial interests within a jurisdiction. So all of the disclosures are with respect to rental units in the jurisdiction or uh, stocks held in companies that do business in the jurisdiction. So that's why this is drafted the way it is. The board could certainly decide that this is a position that should make additional disclosures above and beyond those required by state law, but that would probably need to be codified elsewhere. All right. Thank you for that. The only other thing which is super nitpicky that I will add is just, I've never heard, this is page 18, of a director of public space regeneration. What is that? Uh, this, is, uh, this is not exactly a rhetorical question, but I wouldn't mind hearing from the Economic and Workforce Development Office what that is. And then there were some other goofy new titles in here. Deputy Director, Community Economic Development was Invest in Neighborhoods. I guess maybe we knew that, but Public Space Regeneration, what is that? All right, um, are there any uh, members of the public who would like to testify on this item? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and joining us, on, us in person can line and speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-987-7754, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comments. There are no members of the public uh, for public comment in the room, and we have one caller on the line for public comment at this time. Can we have our first caller? Great, David Pilpel, one of my favorite uh, tasks to go through. So uh, throughout, I think generic titles like Manager 1, Manager 3 uh, can be more specific. Some departments have that, others don't. I don't understand why a number of policy and communications positions are uh, Category 1 and not uh, Category 2 where that uh, exists. It seems like they would have limited uh, ability to make uh, decisions that uh, implicate uh, COI issues. Um, very specific, uh, airport, page uh, 4 to 11, I would use divisions because the airport is large and it's difficult to figure out which positions if they aren't set up by division. Uh, the controller, page 18, I don't understand the reference to these uh, prop Q, uh, whatever it is, instigator uh, uh, positions, I think that could be um, better explained or more specific. Uh, DEM, page 19, I would use divisions. There are also too many abbreviations with respect to uh, DEM about uh, UASI, DES, uh, et cetera. Some of us know what that means, but it's, it's not particularly clear. Ethics, page 22, line 18, may not need divisions since ethics is so small. And I think there's a reference to new positions on one line that I think could be struck. DHR, page 34, lines 10 and 11, again, Prop Q positions. 
uh, PUC, page 39 to 50, again, I would use divisions. This is proposing to collapse all of that. SAS, page 56 to 58, I don't think all of the uh, perhaps lower level positions need to be category one. That seems inconsistent with other departments and perhaps inconsistent with their uh, responsibilities. And finally, OCII, page 59, line two, I believe the uh, sub A in parens at the beginning can be deleted. Uh, if you want to advise me if there's someone that I should follow up with on these specifics, I'm happy to communicate that and look forward to the further hearing on this in December. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Any other members of the public for this item? There are no additional callers for this matter. All right. And to the speaker, if you want to put that in an email and send it to uh, the clerk of this committee, he will disseminate it to the appropriate parties. Public comment is closed. I will make a motion to adopt the amendments circulated by Natalie G. on behalf of President Walton and make one other additional amendment at page 17 on at section 3.1-195 to change the refuse rate administrator from a disclosure category two to a disclosure category one. And on that double amendment or two amendments in one, a roll call please. On the motion to amend, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. All right. And then depending on what the voters decide tomorrow, we may or may not on December 12th take out the reference to the Department of Streets and Sanitation, but we will figure that out tomorrow night uh, or on December the 12th, whichever comes first. Um, the, I will make a motion to continue the item as amended to December the 12th. On the motion to continue as amended to December 12th, Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Chair Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. The motion passes without objection. We are adjourned. <laughs>